Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can find one in, front of the, in the seat in front of you and turn to page 896. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We become and are still like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. And it is my privilege to share the word of God with you this morning. And so as we begin this morning, uh, let's start with a prayer. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So, we've been going through First um, Corinthians for the last few months, and when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, they had already fallen into sin. The sin manifested itself in many different ways, and this letter was written to address each of these problems. And in the first four chapters, Paul is dealing with one of the biggest ones. And as we will see today, it is the issue of pride. The text that was read today may not be easy to understand, but hopefully after today's message, you will. These verses are an address to the proud, the proud Corinthians. But the essence of the text is to teach them about humility. Humility is vital to the church. Humility is the marker of the church. Humility would mark God's choicest and most pronounced prophets. Take, for example, in Jeremiah, how he mentions five prophets in chapters 14 and 15. Moses, and Moses was a prophet where it says in Numbers 12, 3, it says, now the man Moses was very humble or meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And that at first glance may not seem like Moses was a humble man for writing that he was the most humble man. 
But meek is someone, when you push them, they would get pushed. On account of his Cushite wife, Miriam and Aaron, his older brother and sister, would start to bully Moses and try to take the helm and lead the Israel nation. And Moses would get bullied. And they would say, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? In the chapter before, we saw two men, Eldad and Medad, and they were prophesying. And as they were prophesying, it shocked the people. Wait, there are other people prophesying? We have one prophet, and that's Moses, right? And then this young man runs to tell Moses, there are these two guys, and they are prophesying. And when this young man tells Moses, Joshua is with them, and Joshua goes to Moses, my Lord, stop them. And here's what Moses says. Are you jealous for my sake? Meaning, are you really jealous for me? Or are you mad because you are in the Moses group and this new group threatens you. And he continues by saying, Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Here is a man so humble that he is considered even meek, with no thought for himself. He gets pushed around by Miriam and Aaron, his brother and sister. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Here they go beyond the thanksgiving and gratitude for their prophetic gifts and usurp God's role that was given to Moses. And immediately what we read is God intervenes. Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. Hmm, they're in trouble now. He scolds Miriam and Aaron and gives Miriam leprosy, the kind that may, would make you flinch when you saw it. Like, oh, my goodness. Because his anger was kindled against them. And it's only after Moses pleads with the Lord that God relents. Now, the prophet, as mentioned, is Samuel. And from a young age, would, would do whatever the Lord would command him, even up to his old age, where Samuel is able to go to the entire nation, in front of the entire nation in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 3, and say, Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to my blind eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. Here is a prophet, a judge of Israel from a young age all the way to his elder days that he is able to go in front of the nation and say, Whom have I defrauded? When did I do something wrong against anybody in this entire nation and I will restore it to you. And this is how the Israel nation responded to Samuel. You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. What politician today can claim this for themselves? What about Daniel, who prayed to Jehovah even though it was banned and would willingly walk into the Daniel's den, into the lion's den, excuse me. 
What about Noah who obeyed God, who had built this ark so ridiculously big for years, even though they would ridicule him the whole time? What about Job? After being afflicted with disease and losing everything that he had, even his wife would tell him, why don't you curse God and die? And his friends would come and tell him that this was all his fault and he would remain vigilant and that would have this faith that God would answer him. And when God did, in Job chapter 42, verse 6, it would say he despised himself and repented in dust and ashes. These are marks of humble and meek men of God who got pushed around, ironically, many times by the people they were supposed to lead and serve. Or what about the greatest prophet of all? Who is the greatest Old Testament prophet of all? It's the one that Jesus would say is the greatest prophet, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist would say of Jesus, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. That's how small I am. I can't even untie his sandal, which is what the lowest of slaves would do. He's not, I'm not even at that level. What about the leader of the apostles in Luke 8, when Jesus would tell the disciples, because they would be fishing all night and catch nothing, Jesus would go, let down your nets here. And they go, we've been fishing all night, Lord. We're pros. But they decide to do it, and they couldn't bring in the hall because it was so big that the nets were breaking. Peter, instead of marveling at the fish, would run and fall down at Jesus' knees and say, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Even the writer of this very epistle will call himself the chief of sinners. But the supreme example is in our Lord Jesus, whose whole life was marked with humility. Born in a manger, Raised in a hick town called Nazareth, where anybody who heard the name Nazareth would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on. He was mocked, ridiculed, treated like an idiot, beaten, stripped, nailed, and hung on a cross while the people that would pass by would spit on him. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, it would say, it would say he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This is what he said of himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine: Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it says of Jesus Christ, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. This is referring to the condescension of God. When we saw in Isaiah 6 that there is a God so holy that the angels would have to cover themselves completely with their wings and they could only cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this is the God that will condescend to this world for his people. You see, pride and godliness are incompatible. 
You cannot bear the fruit that you were called to bear if you are proud. It is the basis of all sin because it is rebellion against God. Sin is a proud act. But the Corinthians had a pride problem. They were boasters. They were, as we see in verse 6, puffed up. And it manifested in two main ways that we have gone over in the last four chapters. They were enthralled with the wisdom of the world. They're like, look at me, I'm so smart. And number two, they were identifying themselves with particular teachers of the faith, thereby creating factions and divisions in the church. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Jesus, right? Pride was manifesting itself terribly in the Corinthian church, and this message is to the proud. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers. Applied, which is from metaschematizo. Meta is where we get the word for the prefix meta, which means beyond. And schematizo, which we get scheme or disguises or garbs. So metaschematizo means Paul had applied all these metaphors on himself previously for their benefit. What were they? In the beginning of chapter 3, he, they, meaning he and Apollos, were farmers, then builders, and last week Pastor Paul went over how they were servants and stewards. Servant was from the word huperetes, which was a galley slave, literally an under rower. They would be the lowest, the most menial of slaves, Steward from the word oikonomos is a person entrusted and responsible for the entire household of the master. And that means that he would have been in charge of the buildings, the fields, the finances, the food, other servants, and many times even in charge of the master's children. He would apply these metaphors to himself and Apollos. Why? For their benefit. It was for the church's benefit. That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Ministers are simply slaves and servants. If they serve, it's because that's what they should do. Don't go beyond what is written then means don't go beyond what Scripture allows you to esteem the servants of God. Don't go beyond what Scripture allows you to esteem the servants of God. We see this more clearly in 2 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even you. Yes, elders should have double honor, as it says in 1 Timothy 5, 17. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. But honor them as faithful servants and slaves, 
the Corinthian church were making them into things beyond what the scripture would allow them to, how odd would it be if you would run up to pledge allegiance to a galley slave while ignoring the master standing next to him? They were forming these groups and using it to fracture the church. Paul would even say of himself that he is the least of the apostles because he persecuted the church in chapter 15. And the church in Corinth was puffed up. And perhaps this would have you picture of someone trying to make themselves physically bigger than they really are, like walking around like that, or a balloon just full of hot air and no substance. Because what starts out as love and appreciation for a teacher turns into hostility toward other teachers. And then what happens, it turns the hostility toward each other. Pride changes what should be love and gratitude to jealousy and strife as we saw in chapter 3, verse 3. It pits one against the other and it causes division. And this is what pride will do to people, even to the point of disguising it as love and appreciation for, let's say, their pastor. It's a point of pride where you're subtly, and sometimes not so subtly, putting down another person. Christians should rejoice in godly leaders. We should be able to say, we need more godly leaders today in this day and age. More than ever. But when it gets to a place where you start criticizing godly men, you have gone from loyalty to pride. A second word Paul uses to describe the Corinthian church first was puffed up, but the second word is boastful. Boastful. The proud people are boastful. And he asks three major questions in verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? For who sees anything different in you? That, that clump of words, sees anything different in all four words, sees anything different in, is translated from one word, diachrone, which means, who made you superior? Why are your so-called standards better than everyone else's? And I, and I personally see this all the time. Oh, you like this elder? You don't like this elder? You like this pastor? You don't like this pastor? On what grounds? On what grounds are you judging? And when I hear it, it's basically their own grounds. Oh, sure, they'll cite some text without context in an ambiguous manner. You know, this guy, this elder, told me to get in the back of the line. He's not humble. If he was, he should stand in the line for me and get me my food. Or something ridiculous like that. If you are people that think like this, I would never and will never sign off on you ever becoming an elder of the church. Even being around people that constantly bicker and complain should set off 
warning signs. Don't you get tired of complaining about other leaders? What makes you so much better? Oh, you do believe that you are better. You do believe that you have more gifts. And that's the second question. What do you have that you did not receive? If you do have something that others do not, didn't you receive it? So you think you're a self-made man, do you? You know, there's someone who ran for president a few years back, and he promoted himself as a self-made man. His claim was that no one helped him. He helped himself and made himself to be who he is, and that's why he's able to run for president. And you know what? The people were turned off by that. Do you know why? Because his father was literally the president of the United States a few years back. And in, fr in fact, his brother was a president just a few years before too. As a Christian, what do you believe that you have that you did not receive? In chapter 1, verse 7, aren't all these gifts that you have from the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is nothing that you could have done to earn or merit it, but it is because of His grace you have received it. And finally, He asks, if you did not, if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? Why are you boasting as if you earned it or think that you deserve it? There is only one reason pride. Paul is showing us that there are no grounds for us to boast or to be prideful because all that we have is a gift of God. And after verse 7, you'd have to admit, no, I am not superior. But no, no, no. Paul isn't done yet. He's riled up. The sheer ridiculousness of the Corinthian pride has gotten him steamed and sarcasm starts to come out. In verse 8, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And with that, you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. Already you have all you want is from the word full or satiated, which has a reference to food. Already you are so full, aren't you? Already you have become rich, which is from the word pluteo, which meant that you got rich on your own, like the self-made man. This is the opposite attitude of what Jesus would designate as blessed when he would teach, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it would also bring us all the way to his warning in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. For you say, and he, he was uh, speaking to the church in Laodicea. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. All without us. You're kings. There is something that the Stoic philosopher Diogenes would teach. 
and he would teach, I alone am rich, I alone reign as king. This is what his followers would recite in 400 BC and on. A philosophy now that people here today seem to be holding on to more and more. I alone am rich. I alone reign as king. And that's why he would say, would that you did reign, meaning that they don't reign, so that they might share the rule with them. The position that they had on rule and reign was something that even the Apostle Paul and Apollos did not dare claim for themselves. This is the despicableness of pride. For I think that God has exhibited us, apostles, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. You are kings, sarcasm, but God has made us the apostles last. You made it, sarcasm, but we are going to die. We have become or have been made to be a spectacle to the world, angels, and men. There's something called the triumphus, the Roman triumph. It was a ceremony. It was a religious rite. It was something that was held publicly to solidify religiously and ritualistically the Roman military victory, the triumphus. This is where the general or commander would wear a laurel crown and lead a procession into Rome. And he would lead it, followed by his army that conquered and won. And his army would come in following him, carrying the spoils of war. But at the very end of the line, the very end of this procession, you would see the captives, the prisoners in chains being pulled. The people would look at them, they would jeer, spit, and throw things at them. And they would be the ones sentenced to death. The death that they would face is that of a spectacle, theatron. That's the Greek word here. When he says spectacle, it's theatron, and that would remind you of something that is very reminiscent to theater, right? They would be the last event of the games. They would be the doomed gladiators in the arena, the theatron. There's a saying that gladiators would be known to say, which is actually depicted in the movie The Gladiator with Russell Crowe, which is, um, we are who are about to die salute you. The saying is, Ave Caesar, Hail Caesar. Mariturite salutamus, which is, we are who are about to die salute you. And he is saying, you've arrived, but we are marching to our deaths. This is the humble position of the apostles. They knew because of the Lord's teachings, the last shall be first. They knew that before there was the crown to wear, there would be the cross to bear, that in verse 10 it says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. 
What does it mean to be made a theatron, a spectacle? They are fools for Christ. But the incompatibility of this and the world is made evident. He is making a clear contrast and distinction. You are wise, sarcasm. We are weak. For God's power is made perfect in weakness. You are strong, sarcasm. But you are held honor or glorious, right? But we are stripped of even dignity. When in verse 11 it says, to the present hour. This isn't the distant past. This is literally happening right now as he is writing it. To this very hour, these things are happening. We hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted, which means we're getting beaten with fists. We are buffeted and homeless. This is reminiscent of our Lord when he said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. These are his disciples. And we labor in verse 12, working with our own hands. Working with our own hands means they were doing slave labor. The Greeks believed that these, these very special, philosophical, very high Greeks in the Corinth, they believed that working with your hands were a dishonorable act. That's why you have slaves. Because we have higher callings. But the apostles' response here is startling. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. Entreat is the word parakaleo. And if that sounds familiar, it's because I went through it for a very long time when we went over chapter 1, verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 10, when Paul says, I appeal to you. That's the word parakaleo, appeal. It's a gentle word that Paul uses in Philemon. For love's sake, I appeal. When slandered, we parakaleo, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul uses two words to describe themselves in this world, scum and refuse. This is the filth that you scrape off while you are washing. This is the last of the world. Why? Why are they refuse? Why are they scum? Because they boldly preach Christ crucified. It's easy to get along with the world. If the world demands that silence is violence and you have to put up whatever they deem to be righteous, just do it. But when you start preaching Christ crucified, guess what will happen? In fact, the theatron, the spectacle they were made was something so gruesome that even though you didn't revel in it, perhaps, it was something you couldn't look away from. It's that movie scene that comes out and you shield your kid's eyes, but you're looking intently, right? Movies and dramas today are made to be spectacles. These are things that are made for you to look at, right? 
If you like K-drama, it's incredibly sad. It's so sad, but you can't help but to look at the theatron. You can't turn your eyes away from it. But that's what preaching Christ crucified is. Jesus was made a spectacle. And the preaching is the respectacling of Christ crucified. And while all other spectacles left you wanting and perhaps even more empty, in Christ crucified, we are made whole. In Christ crucified, we are made one. Some may receive honor in this world. There are times when you're seeking to give God glory, you may receive honor. But if you are seeking honor for yourself, that's pride. That will lead to jealousy and strife. You know, Benjamin Franklin had 12 virtues, and then he added a 13th that he wanted to attain. The 12 he did with relative ease, just a few months. But once he added humility to the list of those virtues, this is what he wrote. In reality, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Disguise it, struggle with it, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive and will every now and then peep out and show itself. You will see it perhaps often in this history for even if I could conceive that I completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. How do you get humility then? Which is so elusive to the world, so ridiculous and foolish to the world. Humility can only come with the proper understanding of Christ. In Philippians 2.2, it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. How do you do this? How do you have one mind? How do you tune 200-some-odd pianos? If one piano said to the other piano, tune after me, and that's all they will be saying to each other, hey, you tune after me, you tune after me. What do you mean you tune after me? There would just only be a cacophony of deafening noise. There is only one tuning fork. When the church is divided, the testimony is destroyed. The message to the proud is that you are not like Christ. So pray that the church receive humility. Pray that the Lord give you humility. Let's pray.